So we're giving everything up for a car? It's not just a car. It is John Wick's car. Oh. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 182. And our movie this week is John Wick, Chapter 2. And here to talk with me about it is Sean White, a.k.a. Cyrnix. How you doing, man? Doing good. Glad to be back. Uh, actually, you have given me the honor of being the first repeat guest on a, a someone else's podcast. So uh, thank you very much for that. Well, always welcome. Uh, glad to have you back. <laughs> and uh, we had talked about this a little bit kind of on our own. And you had mentioned uh, John Wick Chapter 2. Um, I also had not seen it before. Well, I actually, I had, or no, you had, I hadn't. Yeah. Yes. That's what it was. My goal is, is my goal after the last time I was here, which I actually looked back was almost exactly a year ago. No, look at that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, and when I went through my list of movies that I've watched that I wanted to see if you watched and we got to, I assumed that you'd seen all of the John Wick (laughs) movies. And when you said that you had not seen John Wick chapter two, my response was literally the name of your show. Wait, you haven't seen John Wick <laughs> yeah. Chapter 2? Yes. So, yeah, I my history with John Wick is this. I didn't catch it in I didn't catch the original in theaters. It was like a year or two later, and I was like, "What is this John Wick thing?" All right, let's check this yeah. out. I didn't know much about it, and I was just like, "All right, this is great. I love it." And then oh, yeah. 2 hit, and like 2017 was also kind of a period where I wasn't getting out to many movies, and um, it just sort of fell through the cracks and yeah. it was one was like, I want to see it. I want to see the third one. But then I started getting, uh, more heavily into the podcasting and stuff like that. And the yeah. time, like this time to just watch a movie for fun kind of evaporated on me. Yeah. So it was always one of those I mean, that I just, it, yeah, I just kept yeah, kicking it down the road. Really much since it took me until last year to watch Pulp Fiction. So <laughs> I can't really say much about. Yeah, that's about that's it. a good point. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I just kept kicking it, you know, kicking the can down the road. Uh, so now I have a, a nice excuse to watch it. So, what's your history, like John Wick wise? Um, when did you see the first one? When did you see this? I'm. I think I I actually saw them while they were in theaters, uh, because one one thing that's very difficult about these, specifically the John Wick movies, for whatever reason, is they're not on any streaming service for free. You, they can. They're on. Yeah. You can rent them on, on Amazon Prime, but they're not streaming anywhere, which is really weird because they're very pop. They were very popular when they came out, and mm-hmm. they're you know kind of universally uh, seen positively on. But yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I saw them in, in theaters, and I think after the first one, I was kind of hooked. As oh, like, for sure. <laughs> And the thing that kind of surprised me is this is original content. This is original mm-hmm. character. This isn't like based on a comic book because that's I assumed it was a comic book first when I saw the first one. Mm-hmm. And then and then to see that this was an original story and original characters, and everything, I was even more impressed. But, yeah, just the, the action sequences, the the attention to detail Mm-hmm. Uh, really caught me after the first one, just kind of carried me over to the rest of the series. 
Yeah, it's it's impressive because the director of this, Chad Stahelski, um, co-directed the first movie and was uh, stuntman on The Matrix in The Matrix trilogy. Yep. And that's his background is in stunts. Uh, and he's yeah. transitioned into directing. And I talked about this. I have covered the first John Wick on this show uh, a while back. Okay. And I talked a little bit about uh, some of this then, but I'm going to rehash some things and kind of go over it again because it bears repeating. Yeah. This movie is made from the uh, perspective of stunt people in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. So the, the plot, it's interesting because the plot is very simple. It's a revenge movie. Um, yeah. But the world that they built is very interesting and very intricate. Um, and I enjoy that because it's very similar to our world, but it's, it's kind of like a Quentin Tarantino film, which doesn't take place in our reality. It takes place in Tarantino's yeah. reality. Uh, yeah, so everything is kind of overlapped on top of ours, but not yeah, really our. Exactly. Like there's, yeah. there's similarities They we talk about the same types of things, but, it's not our reality. Like there's just little differences that make it like, no, it's definitely a Tarantino film and you can kind of pick those out. This movie does the yeah. same thing. This series, it's, it's our world. It's New York city, it's Rome, but it's not our world because you've got stuff that's happening. That's just like, there's no way that that's going to happen in real life. These people don't exist for real, but it's so, it's so intricately built. And that's what makes this work yeah. is, is from a story perspective, they really, make sure to make it feel like a world that exists and lives and breathes and, and has rules. And then from a filmmaking standpoint, it's just phenomenal to watch the action in these. Um, oh yeah. And that actually a couple things. It's like, I, this is actually one of the first movies that I, I didn't do anything else. I just watched the movies and actually took notes. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's like the storytelling and the world building is so so well done because they don't have to over explain any everything right it's just like a couple lines of dialogue and you get this whole background that you can just infer from what they were saying like they're talking about uh the continental and the high table are two like kind of regulating or governing bodies quote unquote of this assassin's organization yep that it is an actual organization and they just do that with a couple lines of dialogue without having to really say a whole lot and just it they do just such a good job inferring this whole world it's i was really impressed with that yeah i like how you've got the continental and then there's the continental in rome and they're 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 connected but they're separate entities at the same time um yeah but you don't have to i don't need a big exposition dump of this is the world and this is what happens and here's the rules you just get it you get inferred all this information through dialogue as needed. Yeah. And that's really great. And then you, you know, you, you get this idea of like what the world is like when he has his sort of gearing up scene and he gets to go to the yeah. tailor and he's going to the sommelier um, who yeah. that was, that was so much fun. But like those scenes are great because again, there's something that can only exist in this movie like that, that doesn't happen in reality. But in the reality of this movie, it does, and it fits so perfectly in the world that they've created. And, you know, to have simple things like all, all it takes is the gold coin, and you instantly know somebody is involved. And yep. 
and it's like it's one of those things where he you know you see John Wick walking along he drops a gold coin into like a guy's cup who's begging for change because he knows that that guy is involved in this and then immediately the guy's like whole demeanor changes and he he starts oh, yeah. helping him out and all that kind of stuff. I love that. I love the the idea that they pay in gold and they've got these markers that have like a blood thumbprint on it, and yeah. that is the you cannot go go against the marker. Yeah, and the, basically, if you go against that, your your life is forfeit. Yeah. So, yeah. And the rules, the structure, and the rules that they have in this world that are absolute, and you have to follow them, and people follow them, and the ones that don't, consequences happen. I, I enjoy yeah, that. Like, yeah, it's interesting, especially like along those lines of the rules, how the the continental works, how it's like mo- a lot of these people know each other. They're mm-hmm. effectively like long distance coworkers. Yeah. Uh, even if even if they're each on the other the wrong side of each other's gun, mm-hmm. you know, they still have that almost like mutual respect as coworkers would, uh, especially at the continental. And I, I, it's a little bit more, I, not to spoil anything, but there's a little bit more of that in the third chapter as well. Okay. Uh, where one of the, the characters is fanboying over John Wick and the Continental, even though he's actually trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just, it's an interesting dynamic because between the different assassins, because a lot of them just see this as, this is just our job. Yep. This is just what we have to do. Yeah. Um, and and I love like the Continental is great because number one the building that is in that Flatiron building in New York is such an iconic visual for a building, so yeah. to to make that be the location of the Continental, I get a kick out of that every time I see it. But the fact that you've got this place where it's like everyone in there knows the score, they know what's going on, they know what's happening, but you don't do anything in there but talk to each other, drink whatever. Um, but you keep all the business outside of that, and it's like, it's just this cool, like, I, I just love the concept of that. And then the characters that exist in there, um, and this cast. So the first John Wick had a great cast. This cast is even better. Um, yeah. I mean, you start, like, the opening to the movie, I, I had some notes. I'm like, oh, we just jump right into a, ch- a car chasing a motorcycle. Like, we, yeah. we don't even we don't and, waste any time. And, yeah, uh, and it takes place less than a week after John Wick 1. Yep. So it's like, it's even though the movie came out like three years later, it's still the same year and everything as yeah. John Wick one. So there's barely any times passed. Yep, and and the opening where he's he's in the car chase. The thing that this movie and these movies do, and Chad Stahelski um, and David Leach, who co-directed the first movie, it's this idea of of filmmaking from a stunt point of view so that the action you see everything it's very much jackie chan was like this with his action films and i've watched a lot of documentaries on him and i've I've listened to him talk about stuff and i've seen breakdowns of his scenes and one other thing with jackie chan stuff that you always got was you could always see your your main um subject of a shot and the action that was happening around them and it didn't cut um, you, there was a, there's a famous one where Jackie Chan is running down an alley and a car is chasing him down the alley and the alley dead ends. And then when he gets to the end, Jackie does the wall run and then jumps over the car and takes off in the other direction. And the way they framed everything and staged it all, you always see Jackie Chan, the car and the walls always. There's never a cut. There's never a framing 
where you only see two of those things. So you always know where everything is in relation to it, and it's easier to follow that action. And I love that. And these movies do a very similar thing, where when the action is going on, you're always able to follow what's happening. It's never quick cut. It's never... If there's anything close up, there's a purpose to that. It's not just to create this chaotic feel. And it makes the action sequences, I feel like, even more compelling to see something as simple as he's chasing down a guy uh, on a motorcycle and the guy on the motorcycle is like looking over his shoulder and it's always these long shots and then all of a sudden we see from the his perspective a car there and the the motorcycle just slams into the car and it's not a quick shot where you cut away from the impact or anything like that you see the motorcycle hit the car and the guy bounce off of it and land oh yeah <laughs> like all of that and you feel that impact and it's just oh, yeah. oh it's so good yeah. it's and like yeah he's not walking that one off yeah and that's literally the first <laughs> stunt of the movie is yeah. is this that's motorcycle like the first like 2 minutes of the yeah. movie um, and then when he goes to, you, you cut to the, the Russian, like, uh, of course it's New York city and the Russians have cabs and, um, that whole thing, which I'm still trying to figure out why they were dumping the gold bars into oil. I don't know if that was some sort of like a smuggling thing. Like that's a way to get them Probably. around. I, I wanted to look that up and I didn't have time, but like they're, yeah. they're, I would assume it. I would assume it's some kind of smuggling thing where they're trying to get, that's how they just transport it is they, so you're what's the point of looking into a bucket of tar if you're, you know, whatever. Yeah. So that's what I would assume. But, um, but they're, they're like packing everything up and the one guy, uh, and then we get Peter Stomar or Stomari. Always great to see. Uh, I had no idea he was in this and he is the brother, no, but he's the brother of Vigo from the first movie. And that opening, the, the clip that I played at the opening is just, almost verbatim what they did in that first movie, but I love that. It's John yeah. Wick's car. Oh. And, and they're like... That, is, that line is arguably one of my favorite of the of both movies, is just that response of... Because you see the blood drain from their face, just like, mm-hmm. oh. It's like, they don't even have to say the second part of that sentence. Nope. Uh, it's just, oh. And just from that line, you get an idea of how much these people fear John Wick. Oh yeah, just from that simple line. And what was great is it's it's the same uh, basic line as the first movie, but this time around it's a fear. Whereas in that first movie, when John Leguizamo, when Aurelio calls Vigo, and he's like, "So I hear you slept my, you struck my son." He goes, "Yes, I did." He's like, "You want to tell me why?" Well, he stole John Wick's car and he killed his dog. And Vigo's response of, "Oh," it's like, "Yeah, that makes sense." Then okay. Um, and this time around, it's the O of like, well, we're all going to die. Yep. <laughs> and it was great to see John Leguizamo back as Aurelio. Um, yeah. And that scene was great where he comes up. He's just like, well, I can have it for you for my Christmas 2030. 2030. <laughs> so good. Um, we got a key in the yeah, visor. I love how he, he lists. Yeah, I love how he just like lists all the stuff that's wrong with the car, and just like, oh, by the way, you got a crack in your windshield. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Leguizamo's great, and yeah, he he has aged to this point where he can play that kind of a character now. That sarcasm, his sarcasm has like aged well with him, to where yeah. it never it never feels out of place. So I love when he can play characters like that. Um, 
we got uh, the keys and the visor trope. I love seeing that because I have never known a single human being to ever leave their keys in the visor of their car, but every every vehicle in a movie has that. Yeah. You can count on if somebody's looking for the keys in a car, they will be in the visor, and if somebody's carrying a bag of groceries, there will be some either lettuce or like a, celery sticking out of it and a baguette. Yep. Will be sticking out of there every time. It's like and and I have I can personally say I have never I think oh, I take that back. I think once, maybe twice, I've actually bought bread like that. <laughs> it's like it just doesn't it doesn't happen. No, no. But it really doesn't, except in movies, it always does. Yeah. Um I love that they didn't show his face for the first six minutes too. Like that, and it was such a great reveal. Again, a long shot, and he comes out of the shadow, and you see his face. Oh, that yeah. is that is a very dramatic shot where he kind of, he just walks out of the shadow. You can only see like the half of his face very yep. dramatically. And another random bit of trivia is it was six minutes before he showed his face. It was twelve minutes before he shot anyone. Yeah. Um, and so, and even though he had the gun the whole time, but he waited that long to he had it the whole time he didn't shoot anybody but he did have some i mean some more amazing stunt work and amazing and again everything is done in wide shots so you get to see everything that's happening what i like about it is um and it takes it takes an actor like keanu reeves who we haven't even really talked about yet but like keanu his dedication to this character and to train to be this character is what allows a director to then shoot this way because he doesn't have to sub in a body double or a stuntman for his main actor to do the Brazilian jiu-jitsu moves and the flips and everything that he's doing because Keanu knows how to do them. And so it allows, it's again like, uh, and I'm I'm probably going to mention Jackie Chan quite a few times because there's some similarities to the filmmaking that goes on. And that was what yeah. made Jackie Chan work so well in a lot of his movies is it was him and his stunt crew. So he they could practice together. Keanu gets to practice with all these stunt guys and they can find that rhythm and they can work well together. So then Chad Stahelski can go through and he can shoot everything in wide shots and medium shots and then you get to see everything and it feels yeah. more impactful. Um, I did read that Keanu did like 95% of his stunts. He basically did everything yeah. in the movie except where John gets hit by a car which does happen a few times. And the one of my favorite down the bits is that stairs thing cuz that's just brutal. Like I don't care how how safe that is and you know they're doing everything as safe oh. as humanly possible. That is a brutal stunt to do. <laughs> that's still got to hurt. Cuz especially since the, I'm that's like that's a stone staircase. Mm-hmm. There's not really any way that you could put padding or anything on there. So they just had people roll down a stone staircase. <laughs> It was not a short one either. <laughs> no, and they kept going. Like, like, I can understand. Yeah, I can understand why Keanu did not want to do that. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't blame him for that one at all. Um, yeah, I love when uh, like there's so many good like iconic moments and shots for me that are burned into my head. Like the shot of John in the t-shirt and jeans walking with the dog across the Brooklyn Bridge. That was great. Yeah. Um, in fact, I've, and I've walked that bridge. So I like, that was cool to see that. And just, I love that. Um, I kind of like how they, you can say it's a little, uh, again, this movie's full of tropes. Um, yeah, that's just what it is. And you can say it's kind of cheesy or tropey for him to, to cement over and pack everything back up. But that's like, 
that was a big scene in the first movie was him breaking that yeah. out and going back into that life. And this is him once again trying to to close that off. And, yeah. and then before the cement even dries, he's already back into it. Yeah. For, you know, because of you know, Sant- Santino. And thankfully, like, I'm glad that they didn't have him then break back into that. And they sort of left that yeah. there. Um, and then Santino, of course, blows the house up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, breaking, uh, he's got to break the ties of his, of what could be his new life. Um, so Santino does that. And that was, oof, it was rough. Yeah. Um, and the moral of the story is if you don't, if you don't want John Wick to kill you, don't mess with memories of his wife. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like, it's like, it's like so far, both times that he's gone back into the assassins, the, his assassin work is because his memories of his wife, uh, his late wife have been destroyed, you know, and the first one was with his, his dog. Yep. Um, and, and actually the, the importance of the car is more than just the car itself, but there's a scene after he gets the car back home where he takes a birthday card mm-hmm. given to by his wife that has a picture of him and his wife out of the glove box. And yeah. I think that was actually what was more important to him than the car itself. Oh, for sure. Cause he had the other, yeah. I mean, he had another car. He could have bought more, Yeah, but that was, cause that was the thing I'm watching this. I'm like, okay, he wanted his car back obviously. And then that scene happens. I go, well, now it makes sense why he did as much as he did to get the car back. Yeah. Because again, it's another link that he had to his dead, to his late wife. Mm-hmm. And then Santino comes in and blows up literally everything else he has about his wife and yeah. the life they had together. So, uh, yeah, that was not an intelligent thing to do. No. And it's, <laughs> I, I'm curious what exactly caused, um, John to get the marker in the first place. I don't know if that's gone into uh, in the third movie or not. It is. Well, uh, it, it, they actually explained it in this one. Uh, the reason why he got the marker is because he's explained in, in the first one, they say that he was able to retire because he succeeded at this impossible task. Right. The reason he was able to succeed at that task is because he offered a marker to Santino to help him. Okay. So, I, so that's how Santino has the marker on him. Now he's coming back to collect. Okay. I guess I, I might have missed that line then. Yeah, when I, Santino first comes back into his house... Uh, that's right. Says, no. Like, yes. You know, half okay. of this is mine. Uh, so yeah, that's that's how Santino got the got John Wick's marker. Okay. Um, and so because he had that, and, Santino wants to call it in now, uh, for the worst yep. possible reason. Um, oh yeah. And so so he's got to go to Rome, right? And that's the first major change structurally that this movie did from the first movie was it expanded it to international now. Now we have a scene taking yep. place in Rome. And now as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, okay, is the rest of the movie here? Like, is that, is the rest of the movie him going in to do this job and then gets double crossed and, and it ends in Rome. So I was not prepared for exactly what the movie was, but um, yeah. like I knew, I knew what I was getting into, but it definitely uh, surprised me in good ways. Yeah. Um, and he gets to Rome and he goes to the continental in Rome and they have their own version of Lance Reddick. Uh, there and she's um, she you know gets him set up and then in walks um, uh, Julius played by Franco Nero um, who I remember him from Die Hard 2 
if you were uh, the okay. guy, the guy that was running the Continental in Rome was General Esperanza in Die Hard 2. Okay. And he's also in the old, old Western, spaghetti Western, Django. Um, okay. He was Django. He was a, he's an Italian actor. He's been doing stuff forever, but but I remember him from those two. Uh, Film Sack covered Django years ago. Yeah. Um, but then him yeah, as Esperanza or Esperanza in Die Hard 2. So it was one of those where I'm looking at him like, he looks familiar, and I just couldn't place him at first. And that's when I remembered. I'm like, wow, okay, yeah. No, that was like 30 years ago that he made Die Hard 2. Um, and he has that great line where he's like, I thought that you had retired. And he goes, well, I have, or I had. And then he leans in, are you here to kill the Pope? <laughs> like, that was what his worry was. No. Yeah. No? Okay, then. Um, And so then he gets to do his gear-up scene, and, oh, God, I love that so much. Like, yeah. the trope of, you know, badass assassin or soldier or secret agent or whatever it is getting geared up and ready to go. We've seen it so many times, and and I usually just love it no matter what. But there was something about this one, and I think it was because, number one, the sommelier played by Peter Serafinowicz, I love him to death. He is so <laughs> great in everything, and he is having so much fun playing that character. You can tell. And then yeah, the tailor. I, I love how they go. Well, I love how they they go through and they're using terminology of their titles, mm -hmm. like with the sommelier. They're using like wine terminology and yes. stuff like that, but they're talking about various different kinds of guns. Yes, uh, I I was amused by that and a little bit of trivia about the tailor. Mm -hmm. That actually is the the costume designer for the John Wick movies. Uh, I so read that, I that and was that's cool. That's awesome, Luca Mosca. Yeah. Uh, yeah, was the tailor, and what I liked was like the again the tailor, the sommelier, and the the cartographer are the three guys that he goes to see, and I liked that they they made it into a montage, so it was intercutting between the three of them. Um, he goes to the cartographer and just puts down the gold coin. Like the cartographer knows who he is the second he walks in. Oh yeah, puts on the yeah, gold and coin and they go off to look at maps, and he walks into like that it looked like a sweatshop. And just sets yeah. a gold coin down, and the woman just picks it up and then ushers him back to the, where the tailor is. Yep, walks walks off that. And for the sommelier, he's like, is the sommelier in? I've never known him not to be. Okay. <laughs> and he goes in there, and they those the three of them just love what they do so much, and they're so yep. into it. <laughs> and, yeah, I loved the terminology. Like, well, I know that you've usually been partial to the German varietals, but... This Austrian model here is this Austrian uh, here is quite nice, and like uh, Sarah Fenowitz as the Somalia just hamming it up with the 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 almost giddy reaction he has when he asks him about dessert. Yeah, like you see him kind of oh, shiver yeah. with like excitement that he gets to show <laughs> off his knives. I loved that. That was yeah. so good. Yeah, and uh, one one other little random thing that I, I thought was kind of interesting was. Like, like you said, like everyone recognizes John on site. Uh huh. Oh, it's yeah. like they, no one asks, like, you know, who are you? How may I help you or anything like that? They just so go, oh, hi, John, or like, hello, Mr. Wick, and yep. just go about their business. And I, that again shows just like how much of a legend this guy is that just like 
anyone who is associated with the this assassin's organization just knows him on site. Yep. Well, and it, it's also like, again, it's that type of thing where it's it wouldn't exist in our world. Yeah. Like somebody who, who does what he does wouldn't be there's no way he could be that well known and still be doing what he does because there are there are basically no police in this world. Yeah, uh, the only police we see in I think either of the first two movies is Jimmy. Yep. And uh he he we know that he's in on it because yeah. he asks him if he's working. So and it's like but at that point it's like how it doesn't really all the police need to know is they this is a, a thing that they cannot deal with. Right. Yeah. Uh they're just like if they try to get, intervene in any way, they're all just going to be dead. So, yeah, and like that's, that's I, yeah. It was it was great to see Jimmy again. Uh, I did like that because yeah. they have almost the exact same conversation they have in the first movie, but this time instead of yeah. him just showing up at his house uh, and knocking on the door, it's it's in the aftermath of the exploded house. So, yeah. uh, gas leak. <laughs> gas leak. Yeah, gas leak. Um. But then uh, there is also you do hear some sirens in Rome at one point. Uh, I think when he's on a rooftop somewhere. Yeah, true. Uh, but that's like the only. That's it. Um, yeah. and uh, I just it's it's funny to me. But like, yeah, it, there's no way that that person could be that well known, even in that circle, and still be alive uh, in reality. But yeah. in this, in the reality of this movie, it just works so well. And like the tailor is just he's like giggling the whole time. Uh, and then they show yeah. off that weave and like the woman shooting at the mannequin. And the way he says that is like, it, it works perfectly and there will be there will no, no penetration, but it's going to hurt a lot. Yeah. And that, that's one attention to detail. I really appreciate is the fact, because so often you get like some kind of advanced body armor and they're just able to just shrug off everything. And it's like, they specifically say, this will stop it from, penetrating your skin and everything but it's gonna hurt like hell mm -hmm. well <laughs> so. even simple things like just counting shots counting number of, of yes. times they fire between yes. reloads and the <laughs> fact that it's it's legit the whole time yeah um, it's like it actually that was one thing that i did was during what the the rome shootout when he's leaving i actually counted the rounds i looked at what gun it was i looked up what gun it was how many rounds it holds how many rounds he fired and yeah it's it's legit. Like he fires, I think 17 or 18 shots Yep. Uh, before you see him reload. And that's how 18 shots is how many bullets can fit in that gun. Yeah. Same thing so, with the shotgun. And the fact that like yeah, I, there, there was, detail. Uh, there, there's one at the, when he's leaving in Rome with the shotgun, um, cause the, they get inventive with some of his reloads, but the one where he, oh, yeah. he holds the guy in place with the barrel of the shotgun so that he can reload it with one round and then shoot him with that and take off yeah. and be, and like start reloading it again as he's going. But like, it's just yeah. little things like that. There was another one in his fight with common who, um, again was somebody that I didn't realize was in this one. And then when he yeah. showed up in that first shot of, um, Gianna, uh, walking through the, the crowd. And of course yeah. that's a, that's a wonderful shot, right? Because everybody's in, dark clothes and all of her bodyguards are in all black and she is in stark white and standing yeah. out from the crowd. Um, and then I see that one, her one bodyguard is common. I was like, awesome. Cause I love, he's great. He's always just so much fun to have in a movie. The guy's just cool. Yeah. And uh, there's a moment where they're fighting and John 
has to put the the revolver in the back of his knee in order to eject the magazine, put another one in and reload it that way. And I was like, that's impressive. Like, yeah. and the fact that staged or not, he had to do that. Like Keanu Reeves had to yeah. pull that move off. Like, yeah. It, or just like even some of the other random ones where he like flips the gun up and sh- opens the slide with one hand mm-hmm. and flips it back. Down. It's like, he had to do this. It's like, he trained to do this. And, uh, so it's and like, li- listen, as somebody who has uh, fired a, a weapon before, that is not an easy thing to do, to no, to no, pull the not. slide back part way with one hand while holding the weapon. So, um, but yeah, there's just there's so much of that. So they, they, he ends up in Rome, uh, and okay, when I talk about stuff that I wasn't prepared for, the scene where he finally gets to Jana. I was not ready for, and it's it's rough um, because the whole the whole way that scene plays out is I've got an expect like they show her she's she's standing in front of the mirror touching up her makeup the camera this is really cool camera pan behind her and where you see the mirror you see her in the mirror you see her standing in front of it camera pans behind her and when it gets on the other side of her he appears in the mirror like yeah. brilliantly. Um, brilliant shot yeah then we get oh go ahead i was gonna say her expression when that happens and she sees wick in the Mm -hmm. the mirror she immediately knows she's dead Mm -hmm. it's like at that moment she's like and you can see it in her face just like the the look of subtle surprise and it's like well crap yeah and it's it's one of those it's like in a in a Coen Brothers movie where it's Anton Chigurh and he's like, "Yeah, you can see me. You're you're not surviving this." That's her reaction. Is like, "That's John Wick." All right, well, my ticket's been punched, and then she just wants yeah. to know who was behind it. But then it took a turn that I wasn't prepared for, which is she is admonishing him of what he's doing because he got out of the game initially for his wife, and she's using that against him. But then she decides that she's going to end things herself. And it was in greater detail than I was prepared for, for that uh, scene. Yeah. In in my notes, like I remembered this scene from the first time I saw it. And I in my notes, I just put it in capital letters, Ack, I can't do wrists. Uh, it's like it literally like that scene out of everything in the movie is the one that gives me the most visceral reaction. It's like I literally get like phantom limb pain. It's from watching like that. And, and I think it's because a, you're not expecting that. Um, like that, that isn't when that scene starts, that is not how I expected it was going to end. Yeah. At all. Like the end of the scene was what I expected, which was something to do with her being dead and John being responsible for it. But like the way they got there was not what I was prepared for. And it's such a different, uh, type of, um, death in a movie. This is an action movie where it's essentially Keanu Reeves against an endless wave of mooks that are just getting mowed down. Right. He's like, it's essentially like John wick can't miss and nobody else in this movie can hit water if they fell out of a boat. (laughs) And that's few exceptions, but yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But essentially that, and like, I mean, John Wick is like a, 
what, 99% on headshots in this movie? Like, he just doesn't yeah. miss anybody. <laughs> but nobody nobody can seem to hit him. So, but but what it is is it sets up the, this expectation that, like, just John is going to just mow through everything. And then for the scene to come to a halt and for her to take that away from him and do it just it wasn't what i expected it to be and it's it's tough like it's it's the kind of thing that if you're not ready for or you don't expect or can get triggered by it i can see it being really like difficult for some people to deal with um yeah because it's a very different type of violence from the rest of this movie which is bordering on almost cartoonish in a lot of ways because it it feels like a video game through most of the movie um and that scene doesn't at all (laughs) Yeah, that that scene especially is is rough. I'll Um, move past it, please. Yes. So so then as he's leaving, uh, he runs into common and we get another one of my favorite tropes in movies, which is the two people having a standoff, both of whom know that the other one is going to end up on the on the wrong end, the business end of the of the barrel. And yeah. just them staring each other down while everything else going on around them is completely clueless of what's going on between these two people. Because you got yeah. Ca- um, what is it? It's not Cassius. Cassian. 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 Cassian and John just staring each other down. And it's like Cassian knows if John Wick is here, he's here for a purpose. Oh, yeah, someone's dead. <laughs> and John knows Cassian and, and understands that if Cassian's here, there's there's a reason for that. So they both know this, and it's it's just like that moment and that tension, and then they just open fire in a group of people, <laughs> which is yeah, which is the one thing that I think was very different in this movie from the first one, which was in that first movie, everything that happens between John and the and the Russian mob either happens in his house or it's happening in like mob owned places, and uh, it's all very self contained, um, kind of. Uh, yeah shootouts and things like that this movie was just like yeah, and a lot of this yeah this this one was yeah, like a lot of nah. this one's just out in the open <laughs> the the subway scene where they're literally walking along and they're just like seek you know trying to sneak shots at each other from 150 feet away yeah. i was like okay uh, i'm suspending yeah. disbelief but like you're towing the line here just a yeah, little that, bit that's one of the scenes that is to me is very tropey because first of all silenced weapons are still not that quiet. No, not at all. Uh, if if you're if you're in a silent hallway like that and someone fires a silenced quote unquote weapon, it's still going to sound like a gunshot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's just yeah. That's that's one thing that I I kind of dislike about movies is the whole silenced gun things because it's not that quiet anyway. It's not that quiet, but <laughs> the the reason that that like at the um. At the rave in Rome, when they start shooting at each other in that uh, in that situation, I can kind of get it because what I get this feeling like is that there was something personal with with uh, Cassian and Jana. Um, I I don't know I I don't know if yeah. that's exact, but it it gives you that feel like this was yeah. a job for him, but it was more than just a job. And so when he yeah. sees John there. And you don't call John Wick in to just take care of somebody, right? It's going after an yeah. important he- you know, figure, and Cassian's going to know that. And so I kind of get him sort of losing the um, losing his cool 
and John's yeah. just going to react. Um, my problem was I didn't love the subway one because I just felt like when they're walking in the crowd of people, that felt a little too much um, for me. Yeah. When they got onto the and- subway, then it went back to feeling like like what it would in this world, which is for the most part, you're going to make sure everybody gets out of the way and then you're going to take care of business. Like they, they didn't start fighting yeah. on this in the train until it was virtually empty. Yeah. There was, I think maybe like five or so people left in the train, mm-hmm. but like another note I made is like when they're in the subway, there's like, they have the crowds going into the subway and two of them are start coming at John. He takes them out like before even everyone is in the subway. It's like, how is no one reacting to this? No one. Not a single person. <laughs> it's like the only like reaction you get from bystanders is like after the, the, the knife fight in the train, like everyone just very quickly runs out and that's it. That's mm-hmm. the only reactions from anyone else in this movie. Yeah. So it's like, and again, that's that world building of like, that's the hyper reality that this world is. It's not yeah. our world because nobody's reacting the way that normal people would react to these situations. So it's yeah. almost it's almost as though the world that John Wick takes place in, people know about this Assassin's Guild enough to know that like yeah. this stuff just happens. Um, yeah. <laughs> going back to the Rome stuff, so so he gets away, yeah. and then um, Ruby Rose's character Ares, um, who I liked, I actually liked having that character be um, deaf and have no lines and just sign. I thought that was that was yeah. a little different. Um, you don't get a ton of yeah. that and. Um, but she, uh, she shows up and, um, John immediately knows like loose ends. He, he sort of had a feeling like, like Santino would double cross him. Like, it's almost like John knew that that would happen, but still, you know, still had to kind of make it wait for it to happen, I guess. Yeah. And actually before we, before we go further, I want to go kind of backtrack a little bit to when he's going through the catacombs for the first time. Mm-hmm. I love that scene where he's going through the catacombs and it's like, like measuring out how Yo, far yeah, yeah. he can go shotgun up here, goes a little bit further, puts a, a the AR 15 over here. It's like, it shows his expertise for this preparation. Cause I'm sure like mm-hmm. he's trying to anticipate, okay, how many people can they throw at me? How many rounds am I going to have available? Yep. And it's like, okay, once I'm done with this, I'll have this access to this weapon here so that I can continue on. Like just, I love that, that scene for to show just how proficient he is at this whole thing that he puts that much effort into the escape rather than the, the entrance. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's more concerned with how's he going to get out of there than how's he going to get in? Cause getting in is easy. Getting out is the hard part. Yeah. Um, and that's, again, though, that's, that's that thing that this movie does well is the writing and then the staging of everything is very intricate and very detailed. And they're going to show you that stuff that a, a different movie uh, might just have him like walk through, look a couple of places. And then later on, he's, you know, finding the stuff that he stashed or whatever. Like they make sure that yeah. you, you know, kind of, and you, this movie never, you're never confused about where he is in relation to other things, which definitely can happen in a lot of action movies where an action scene starts and you're just like, I don't know where anything is in relation to anything else. And this, you always know that in part because it's more wide shots. It's shots where you can see the action going on. Yeah. It's wider shots and it's also steady shots. Mm -hmm. 
They don't do a whole lot of shaking or anything like that. They they do a little bit of movement, but it's not shaky movement. Right. So, and I think the the whole concept of shaky cam is is garbage because I know it's supposed to be like kind of give you a sense that it's a frantic situation, but I think it's much more impactful when you actually are able to see exactly what is happening. And they they do that in this movie and they do it very well. So I for the most part I do not enjoy too close of cuts. Like Paul Greengrass when he did Born Supremacy um and Born Ultimatum and that sort of was the Born Identity kind of helped to reshape action movies at the time, especially sort of spy thrillers. And then when Greengrass came along and started um, Born Supremacy, and he really did that a lot of up-close, shaky cam, lots of cuts to create that uh, frenetic feel, it can work when used correctly. Uh, the problem is that it got, like every other trend, way overdone, way overused. Yeah. Like, the there are shots that, uh, in the Bourne Ultimatum especially, there's the fight in Morocco, where Jason Bourne jumps from one building to another and they had the cameraman behind him. So you get the, the yeah. cameras actually chasing him through there and it's shaky yeah. and it's frantic because it's frantic as he's running through stuff. And that worked there. Yeah. But like you can overuse it. And I'm with you. I think that wider frames and seeing more of what's going on and seeing the stunt people doing what they do creates those feelings um, I think that shaky cam is a good way to hide either not having enough time or money uh, in order to stage things out properly. Because let's face it, yeah. it's expensive to do any kind of uh, practical stuff, and most of your stunt work is practical work. So yeah. if somebody messes that up, you got to reset everything. Um, and so if you're doing a wide shot, it, there's a lot more things that can go wrong. So like, I get it from a filmmaking standpoint, but I think that aesthetically I'm with you and that it works so yeah. much better, um, to be able to see what's going on. But here again is a case where you have a director who understands shooting stunt work because he's been doing stunt work for his whole life. So he can have yeah. somewhat of a shorthand with the stunt coordinators as well and the stuntmen, and he's going to understand how that works. You've got a, a lead actor who understands how a lot of that works and is willing to put in the work to train to be able to do the stunts himself. Yeah. And so that they can then take the time to make sure it's all done right. And that's like Jackie Chan talks all the time. Uh, another thing he talks about is like you'll see some of the crazy stuff that he does um, and people will be like, oh, I can't believe you could do that. He's like, well, you could too if you had like 120 takes to do it in. Yeah, he's like yeah. when he that was one of the things he always said was when he was shooting in Hong Kong, he could do as many takes as he wanted. It didn't matter. And so he could do it until he got it right. And he's like, in Hollywood, yeah. you can't do that. And most Hollywood films, you just you don't have the budget. You don't have the time to do that. And so you've got to come up with other ways to create that same feel. These yeah. this is a movie that takes its time and it puts its effort into the stunt work because that's what people are there for. And it shows, yeah. and it makes it better. Yeah, like I'm, I'm reminded of the, uh, going back to the first chapter of John Wick. Mm -hmm. There's one scene where he's in the, the, he's getting attacked in his house, and there's this very long hallway scene. I don't remember exactly how long it is, mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a lengthy scene. It's one take of yep. them just like back and forth, fighting over a knife, and then he finally gets the, gets the other guy. But it's, 
again, I don't remember it off the top of my head how long it is, but it is a very long, lengthy scene. And I, I can't imagine how many takes it took to, to get that right. Because, uh, again, it's one of those wide shots that you can see all of the action they're doing. Yeah. And, and that's – I appreciate that in an action film. That's what sets these apart from a lot of other ones is seeing everything that's going on and knowing that yeah. it's Keanu Reeves on screen doing this stuff and the work yeah. that went into that. And then I just – I loved all of that. You got like – and we mentioned the the stair stunt, but that one still – I just got to mention it again. That was so – because as soon as they walked past that part – and the camera was set up down the stairs. I'm like, oh, they're falling down these stairs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, bo- oh, boy. And, oh, yeah. and then they do. And they, they fell down them, and they kept falling down them. They went all the way down them stairs. And yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's just – that's some dedication right there to, to, to a bit. Yeah. And I was sore after watching it, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. But that was great. And, like – and then – and and here's the thing, we had all this action go on. We're like halfway through the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um they they end up back at the Continental in Rome, uh con, um Cassian and John Cassian fighting. And John, yeah. When uh when Julius is like yeah, Gentlemen. through the window, mind you, not yeah. the door. <laughs> yep. And then <laughs> they're like Oh, by the way, we're here. Okay. And I then they get stop. they get the slap <laughs> on the wrist and like go to the bar and talk it out. Uh, which is another one of those, like, again, it's that trope of the, the continental is such a great thing because these two guys are trying to kill each other in the streets in for a while. And then they just get told that's it. You're done. Go. And they shape right up and they go into the bar. Um, And a minor thing about that, the fact that this is another little bit of world building that all of these people kind of see each other as coworkers they knew each other's drinks. Oh yeah, yeah. They'd probably they work just, together like, at some they just point. Them, yeah, they like they like I said, there's this like whole almost coworker mentality between all these assassins. <laughs> they just like he just turns to Cassie and goes, "Gin still? Yeah." I, I, oh, you said bourbon for yeah uh, bourbon for John. For John. Yeah. Okay. And like the whole time they're in the bar, it's just this seething like. Cassian's just ready, like wants to kill him and doesn't care. Oh, yeah. And, you know, basically tells him off and is like, um, this rounds on me called a professional courtesy. Like essentially the next time I see you, you're dead type thing. And John just yeah. gives it right back to him. Um, but then to have Santino put a target or a, a, a hit out a on bounty. him, a bounty on him yeah. for $7 million. That was where I was like, okay, all right. So we still got some movie left. Um, and then he gets back to New York, and of course everything happens with the subway, and he ends that, and he's leaving. Oh, and one thing about the—I want to touch on the subway real quick. There's mm-hmm. another attention to detail. Oh, sure. Uh, right after he gets the knife into Cassian's chest, the announcement on the uh, on for the subway is, "This is the end of the line." Yep. <laughs> like right after he's like sets him down, gets the knife chest. Tells him this like it's in it's plunged in your aorta. If you take it out, you'll die. This is the end of the line. <laughs> I thought that was a brilliant detail. Mm-hmm. At, oh uh, yeah. It's like also the fact that he like this when he does the when he stabs Cassian in the chest, he leaves the knife. Yep. As a professional courtesy, we don't know if Cassian lives or dies after that. You know, it's not really relevant for the rest of the movie. Uh, but later on. 
uh, when he stabs Ares in the same way, he takes the knife out. Yep. Immediately. Yep. This because like, you're not he, getting that courtesy. Nope. Ares doesn't get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I caught that. That was that was cool. And we're going to get to that scene because. Yeah, sorry um, to jumble ahead a little bit there. No, 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 that's fine. Uh, but what I liked was he. So he now he knows that uh, it, okay, uh, he's in some hot water and he needs help. Yeah, and once again in that sort of tell us just as much as we need to know, he puts the gold coin in the guy's cup and just says, "Take me to him. Tell him it's John Wick." And the guy immediately like yeah. covers him up and you know is is ready to help him out. And they take him somewhere and they take him to. Lawrence Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne, and I loved that. Uh, this was the first time they were on screen together since I think The Matrix Revolutions. So it'd been uh, yes. like fourteen years since they had done anything together. Um, yeah, and you could once again, Larry was having fun. Man, he was he was <laughs> digging that role uh, as kind of yeah. the the Bowery King, um, and had his yeah. like he's got he he almost exists. He exists like outside the realm of the assassins, but within that world, he's connected to it, yeah. but he's not affiliated with them. Yeah, he's not like part of the official governing organization or whatnot, but mm-hmm. he's he has some level of influence. Yeah, albeit I think unofficially, and certainly uh, kind of like yeah, yeah, and and certainly enough that like they don't mess with him. Yeah. You know, they just sort of like, you stay on your side, we'll stay on our side, everything's cool. Um, Which John uses to his advantage to be like, yeah, look, uh, Santino's going to come try to take over New York and you think he's going to stop at 14th Street? Like, he's going to take over your territory too. Um, So, but it was just cool to see Lawrence Fishburne and him just hamming it up and having a good time and seeing those two doing scenes together again. That was, that was really cool. Yeah. I almost, then, while they're talking to, to each other, they they make m- multiple references to making a choice. Oh yeah, yep. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, nothing involving pills or colors red or blue, but uh, lots of talking about making choices. Yep, <laughs> yep. Uh, definitely uh, some good tongue in cheek moments there. I, I I liked that quite a bit. Nice. Um, he ends up going after uh, Santino, and that final that scene in that uh, art installation was with all the mirrors with all the mirrors was trippy yeah but such a cool visual yeah one question that i have regarding that scene is how did they hide the camera well my like yeah yeah in none of those mirror scenes you see a camera no i'm sure that there was a, a extensive amount of digital work to to paint that out which had to have yeah. been a nightmare <laughs> um yeah but it's cool because it, it was very much like an homage to uh, Enter the Dragon. Has a scene similar to that. Um, yeah, and there I was another think one. That's where I think that's where Chad got the inspiration for that. Is because he he did oh uh, he, I think he did stunt work or new. I'm trying to remember, I, I, that's one bit of trivia I don't have. But I know I know he had some relation to that movie, and that's actually I think where he got the inspiration for it. Inspiration, yeah. I don't think he's he's not old enough to have worked on it. Um, because that movie came out in well, like 1971, but he might have been. Okay. I think the connection was he was he was went to the same, I think the same stunt school as Brandon Lee. Mm, that could who be. Who was uh, Bruce Lee's son? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I think that was the connection was he that he was doing it in homage to that. Yeah. And it it basically it takes that scene and it amps it up because there's mirrors all over the place and there's mirrored steps and you've got multiple uh, villains moving around and all that kind of stuff. And it's so brilliantly done. And like the, the breaking of certain mirrors at certain times and how that worked. And then it had a shot at the end of it after. So, so all of this goes on and then he has to fight Ares. And um, you mentioned the knife thing, which I did catch. And I thought that was a nice, again, attention to detail, right? That's a callback to something without having to say anything about it. You don't have to explain what you're doing. It's it's just scene. It's show don't tell, and then and that mirrors, no pun intended, the final fight in the first movie where he does the same thing to Vigo, and Vigo kind of sits down and then tells him, "I'll be seeing you, John," and yeah. that's what Ares says. She signs, "Be seeing you," and of course he's he's, he's got to be tired of people telling him that because I loved his response. Sure, like, sure, yeah. And then when he leaves, and when he leaves, though, that shot of him leaving in the mirror, because it's it's a mirrored shot, and then that door opens up, and it's another mirror, just off, like just slightly different framed, and then that one opens up, and it was a reflection. I was like, that is such a cool-looking shot. And you're right. Yeah. You don't see the camera anywhere in there, but it's like straight on. So how? Yeah. Like, I loved all that. It was so cool-looking. And that whole scene is just... Yeah, that, that was impressive. That whole mirrored, mirrored fight area stunt work scene thing was just crazy it was it was really nuts and santino gets away and john at this point does not care anymore about the rules and follows him into the continental um and i kind of what was what was interesting about that is john knows the rules and he doesn't break the rules and winston knows this ian mcshane um uh is it Charon or is it pronounced Charon, uh, Lance Reddick's character? I, I'm not sure if it's a hard C-H or soft, but anyway, Lance Reddick is... I think is, they only mentioned his name once in the in this one. I think it was I think it was Charon. If I, 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 I'm trying to remember because I know he's like based on the, the Greek mythology of the ferryman. Um, yeah. But I can't, I, I don't remember. It's Charon makes sense to me. Anyway, he, yeah. when, when John comes in and he tells him, you know, where is Santino? And he, you can tell at that moment that character is like hesitates for just a second before telling him he's waiting for him in the lounge, and like that character knows what John he is going to do. What's about to happen? Yeah. And for John to go in there, and there's Winston, and he shoots Santino right there in in the place. Like, and Winston has to do what he does. I mean, there's yeah. there's no way around that. There are rules, and John broke him, and John knew it. Um, and then we get, uh, that, that final scene, which again is a, is a scene that can only exist in this movie, even though it takes place in Central Park, which that location in Central Park, by the way, absolutely amazing. I love that. It's one of my favorite spots yeah. in Central Park. Um, and I love that it gets used cause it's an iconic look, but it had the creepiest yeah. damn moment in this movie, which, which is when Winston, cause I love like John walks up to him. So. For okay, um, Lance Reddick picks him up. They drive him to Central Park, and he basically says goodbye. Um, and it's like it's been yeah, it's been good knowing you. 
John walks in and there's Winston sitting at the fountain and he walks up to him and Winston's like, look, it's rules. You can't do what you did. Uh, you know, there's consequences. And John asks him, why am I not dead yet? And I loved Winston's reaction to that. He's like, because I deemed it not necessary. And like, it's his, his word is law in New York. Yeah. And then for him and go ahead. So I was going to say, cause this is shows again, how kind of different John Wick's character is compared to a lot of the other assassins. Because in the first, uh, in the first John Wick, uh, Adrian, or where, I don't remember what her name was. Apoliki. But the, the, yeah. She tries to kill John in the Continental, kills some, another assassin. Yep. And she gets taken out there, and they're just like, you're revoked. They immediately kill her. Yep. So this is, you know, having him not only wait until the next morning, before meeting with John, but then also giving him an additional hour yep. after that uh, shows how much of a connection that they have together. Absolutely. Oh, so yeah. And then when he when he looks to his uh, one of his guys who then says into the phone now, and every single person in the scene stops and turns to look at John, where it's that moment of like, okay, anybody at any time could be part of this. And it, yeah. it gave me chills. Like anytime yeah, a movie does that, that that in a movie is always a thing that's going to affect me right away because there's just something so unsettling about literally an entire area of people just stopping and turning all at once to look at the same thing. Like yeah. it just feels weird. It's like it's very invasion of the body snatchers. Um, yeah. But that was and so then, good. And then as John is leaving... You can see his expression. He's like he starts off first kind of confidently, and then he starts looking around, starts <laughs> yeah. hearing phones going off, and you can just see the paranoia start to to creep into his face, into his expression, and mm -hmm. he just starts booking it. Just, like at the end of that scene, he's excommunicado. He no yep. longer has access to anything that the Continental can offer, including its safe harbor. Yeah, he is out in the wind. He is he's cut off from everything. He has nothing left other than whatever resources he can get himself. Yeah. Oh, and the contract so, is still on him. Oh, yeah. Only it's Not doubled only that, now. It's international. Yeah, it's international and it's doubled. So now it's a $14 million contract. And mind you, in the first movie, it was a $2 million bounty and nobody took it. That was not worth it. Nope. You know, facing John Wick. In this, it went up to $7 million and everyone and their grandparents tried to kill him. Yeah. So that... And then now it's doubled and international. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, he's definitely going to be paranoid about everything that moves. <laughs> I would be too. Um, and yeah. and I didn't mention it earlier, but some more of the world building that I loved was when they would call in the contracts, and you had that like whole yeah. just accounting department going on, and everyone, yeah, the, because it again, this movie has this interesting mix of like. Uh, retro feel with newer stuff. So you got the the call goes in, and they're using like an old school switchboard, and they're they're typing on looks like a Commodore VIC twenty. Um, yeah. And like, but then they're sending text messages out to everybody via that. Yeah. Um, and I just I, like I loved all of that. Like, there's so much of that the world that got expanded on in this movie from the first one that I just I dug. I dug all of the production design, uh, the look of everything. Um, is great. I, I had a super fun time with this movie. 
I really did. Yeah. This is a great. This is a. This is how you follow up a uh, a movie like John Wick. Um, sometimes a, a movie like that. Uh, I'm trying to think. Like Scream is an example of a movie that is sort of a surprise hit, right? Like you're not. It's not yeah. expected because Scream reinvented. Uh, the slasher film genre for the nineties and for the way the sensibilities had changed from Halloween and Friday the 13th and everything and how yeah. they had become almost self parodies. And so there needed to be this reinvention. John wick did that in 2014 for action films like this. They had become oh, yeah. like taken was, was great, but by the third or fourth taken, we had had not only that rehash so much, but there were so many, knockoff versions of that and yeah. bad versions of it yeah and to remember like the there was a kevin costner one that i watched that was just awful but but yeah, they were they, they were talking about yeah they were overproduced and they were the editing was terrible um in a lot of those i mean there's the the classic one you see you can find on the internet of i don't remember what movie it's from but it's liam neeson jumping over a fence in the movie and the okay. the sequence lasts for, I want to say it's like 15 seconds of him running up, jumping over a fence, and running off. And there's something like eight cuts for him to jump over the fence. Yeah. And so stuff like that. And and what happened was John Wick came along, and it it's sort of, I almost equate it to um, like the Ramones and Punk. And the revolution of punk in the in the late seventies, the early eighties, where rock music or or grunge is another example of this. It happens. It kind of happens in cycles. Yeah. Rock music in the seventies had become more and more progressive rock, and had become more and more overproduced. And Led Zeppelin was doing all this kind of stuff, and the Ramones were like, "This is supposed to be rock and roll. Let's just strip it down to guitar, bass, drums, some vocals, no overproduction, nothing." And yeah then you know you get all the excess of the 80s and then grunge comes along and strips it back down and makes it kind of just this thing again we're getting that we got that with john wick it was that reset moment it was that here's what an action movie can be uh and and we needed that we really did and it helped it helped to shape and yes there's been knockoffs but what i'm liking is um stuff that you assume is going to be poor no, there's always going to be bad versions of everything um, but we're also seeing stuff like Nobody with Bob Odenkirk, yeah. which was phenomenal. Yeah. That was so much better yes. than I thought it was going to be, and it's not the same movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the biggest difference between John Wick and Nobody is... no. Uh, oh, I forgot what, uh, what his name was, but uh, John Odenkirk's... Or, I'm terrible with names. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what, the, nobody... Uh, he wanted to get back into it. Yeah. He was just looking for an excuse to get back into it. Whereas John Wick, le he legitimately wanted to be done with it. Yeah. And he keeps on getting people keep on pulling him back in. Mm -hmm. So, Yes, it's very, yeah. uh, very Godfather in that way. He wants out, yeah. they keep pulling him back <laughs> in. Like there's, you can make <laughs> equations to a lot of stuff, but, but I love, I, I love the attention to detail, the craft that, Stahelski and Keanu Reeves and the the screenwriters put into this and the love that they put into it. Like there's a passion yeah. to this that makes these kinds of movies stand out. Will we eventually get to a point where um, we're getting uh, 
some poor versions and knockoffs and it, you know, it'll need a reset again. Sure. That's cycles. So arts is cyclical. Yeah. Um, but this, you know, John wick chapter two, I'm, I'm going to watch chapter three. Uh, and we've got a fourth version coming a fourth movie. Yeah. Uh, coming this year. And, uh, so far what they've been able to do with these first two movies was, and this is kind of the point I was, I was starting is like, John Wick reset things and created new expectations and they made a sequel to it that worked with what made the first movie good, expanded on what made the first movie good and uh, and didn't try to do too much. It got bigger, but not too much bigger. It got crazier, but not too much crazier. And it really stuck with what made that first movie work, which was impeccable stunt work and framing of action that we hadn't seen in a long time. And this ability yeah. to see everything that's going on. And it's so good. Yeah, this is the John Wick series so far has probably been one of my favorite action series uh, to date. Uh, oh, yeah. Just I, I love I love it when like I've gotten just kind of sick of not being able to actually see what's going on so for them, yeah to strip it back down you can see clearly how badly he's murderizing these people uh is just and like you said the fact that he he just has to do it mm -hmm. it's like there's no, there's no takes in between to hide of you know a missed step or you know messed up choreography he just does it all at once and it just well that shows and how much Keanu has to this as well. Yeah, and to see every, you know, swing and impact and follow through when he hits when he hits somebody, you don't like there's a a prevailing thought is always sort of cut away from the actual impact and then you cut back at a different point and it makes the impact feel stronger. I don't always agree with that in that I this way uh they frame it so you see him wind up, you see him hit, you see him follow through, and you see the reaction. And that you feel. You feel that yeah. that stuff going on. The same thing with any of the shots that happen where he hits somebody and you're seeing them react and the, the way that they move. And it just feels like more visceral uh, to have that. So I, I'm a big fan of this type of action film. Um, whether you do it uh, R-rated the way that John Wick does or you maybe, you know, tame it a little bit, make it PG-13 so it's a little more accessible. Um, you can do these kinds of... This this type of filmmaking can work on a lot of different areas. And it doesn't just have to be violence either. The just stunt work and action itself to be able to see everything that's going on. Because um, yeah. I'm with you. I want to see what's happening here. I want I don't want it to be hidden. There, I do believe there are times for kind of close-up and or shaky camera but it's got to be utilized judiciously and yeah, you know, so this was a fun movie. I'm really glad you, you uh, brought this one up and got me to finally watch yeah. it. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, now you have a show called the part-time gamers, correct? That is correct. And what's that show about? Where can people find it? <laughs> Take some time, plug yourself. So the part <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, the Part-Time Gamers is a gaming podcast for people with full-time lives. Uh, we talk specifically about games that you can 
play to either completion or satisfaction within a couple hours or so. So for people who, like I said, have full-time lives, they don't have a lot of time to dedicate to games, so you can just jump in, get some stuff done, jump back out. I'll talk with uh, September 9 of 12 in the community and uh, Theo Seibold, uh, going by Mr. Bingo now. Okay. Uh, both are, all three of us were contestants of the latest season of ANTP. And uh, yeah, we chat about these different games today. I'll actually, well, the reason why we had to I'll put this ahead an hour was I actually record Sunday nights. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be recording just a little bit. But yeah, normally Sunday nights about 9.15 or so. We start up on twitch.tv slash And then is that out as a podcast as well or is it just the live stream? Yes. It does come out as a podcast as well. I actually I'm able to put it on a pod uh, out in podcast form almost immediately afterwards because I try not to do as little editing as possible. <laughs> so you'll probably get a lot of flubs and uh, just us being being goobers on the on the show. Hey, that's nothing wrong with that. I try to do as little editing as I can as well. Uh, so part time gamers with Cyrenex nine of twelve and what was it? Mister Bingo. Mister Bingo. Uh, so that's great. That's fun. I, I've I've caught the show a few times. I enjoy it. It's great because a lot of us have lives and full-time gigs and all sorts of stuff going on, and it's tough to find time to really dive into games. So to find these yeah. more casual games and something that you can enjoy in a short period of time is great. So that's cool. Um, so part-time gamers, yeah. check that out, uh, twitch.tv slash Cyrenix, and then yep. just search for part-time gamers on uh, podcast I, apps. I think... Specifically, it's the part-time gamers. There, the there actually have been a couple, a couple podcasts that have the part-time or part-time gamer okay. uh, as the title. But also, you can find all the information for it uh, using the link bit.ly/ciproductions. CI Productions. Yeah, that'll link to my website where you can find all the information on it. Perfect, excellent. If you enjoy this show and want to watch it live, uh, typically it's Sunday nights, eight p.m. Eastern time uh, at Twitch.tv/tvstravis comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays uh, at tvstravis.com. Anywhere you get podcasts, you can search for Wait You Haven't Seen. Uh, throw a question mark in there. It's got ellipses. I, I, I did not. SEO is not my strong suit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but tvstravis.com has the links to get it on all of your podcast platforms, and it's the easiest place to find it. So definitely check it out there. Um and uh, if you enjoy watching uh, people be bad at video games, you can check out my streams uh, occasionally as I do play some games. Right now I'm playing Bioshock Remastered uh, and having to relearn 2004 or 2005 control schemes, which is messing with my head. Yeah. Yeah, and I noticed on your last stream that the, your main character has the same problem as Mardigan with his greatest weakness being the enemies moving slightly to the left. Yes, moving casually to the <laughs> left, and suddenly I can't hit anything. It's it's terrible. That, and I kept hitting shift to run, which would open up the menu, and that doesn't work. Yeah, so, that seems like an oversight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, definitely come hang out, twitch.tv slash Travis, and then uh, and if you enjoy this show, also leaving a rating and review, um is helpful and uh i am on twitter at tv's travis if you have movie ideas that you would like me to talk about um if you have uh guest ideas if you'd like to be a guest you can uh certainly get uh to me there uh, i'm very active on twitter and i'm always looking for ideas for show content so um love to hear that from you uh so until next week which is uh tba
Uh, it's a surprise. I'll let you know sometime this week on Twitter. So you follow me there and you'll find out what movie I'm watching. Um, Sirenix, thank you so much for being here. This was super, well, super fun. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> and uh, remember to enjoy your movies. And hey, everybody, it's rough out there, so be excellent to each other. It's been Wait You Haven't Seen. Then we live with the animals. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>